that God, you would start a new revival and that your fire would fall fresh upon us right now. Just as you did it before, God, right now in this moment, we're ready for more. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We acknowledge your presence in this place right now. And we ask you to have your way in us and through us for your glory. Fresh fire ah, from the altar of God fall upon us now and consume anything and everything in us that is not of you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Woo! Listen. I felt like the roof was going to come off this building this morning, y'all. Glory to God. Amen. Come on, let's show our love one more time for Converge Worship. Outstanding job, Chad and Cree and Veronica. Thank you guys so much for leading us into the presence of the Lord. Sometimes you just need the joy of the Lord. Amen? Yeah, 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 yeah. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Amen. Glory to God. Woo! I'm fired up, man. I think we, just, we could just go home right now, and that would have been enough. Amen? But I do have a few thoughts to share with you, so sit tight and uh, buckle your seatbelts because we're going to dive into the Word together. We're going to pick up where we left off last week, and I give tremendous credit to Pastor Wendy for today's message uh, because after the move of God last Sunday, especially in our men, uh, Pastor Wendy felt like there was more for us to uncover, for us to unpack from last week's message I gave it some prayer, gave it some thought, and I felt she was absolutely spot on. Uh, as I prayed, I felt like the Lord impressed upon my heart that there were some thoughts to revisit from last week's message. We've been in a series called Ghost Stories. These are the chronicles of the Holy Spirit at work in the lives of ordinary people just like you and me. The interesting thing is a lot of times when we read uh, the scriptures, what we think of these men and women of renown, these men and women of faith, is that they were extraordinary, that there was something special or something spectacular about them. When the truth is, these were just ordinary people who were touched by an extraordinary God. Amen? And that's good news for us this morning. That's good news for us this morning. Because God desires to do similar exploits in and through our lives if we will simply yield to him. Yeah, yeah. And that's what the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit does in the lives of believers. In fact, James chapter 5 and verse uh, 16, 17, 18 says it this way, that Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are, meaning he was no different than you and me. Yet when Elijah prayed under the unction of the Holy Spirit and asked God to withhold rain from the nation of Israel, God held the rain back three and a half years. The prayer of an ordinary man. And when Elijah prayed again that God would send the rain, God sent the rain after three and a half years. But the Bible explicitly says that Elijah was a man just like us, Subject to like passions, the same struggles, the same challenges, yet he walked in such close proximity and intimacy with God that when he prayed, God chose to withhold the rain. Yet the Bible says he was an ordinary man. And that's what happens when we align our lives with the power, the presence, and the purpose of the Holy Ghost who lives within us. In fact, this week I was talking to someone and the Lord reminded me 
of 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4. In fact, I want to share that verse with you. And for many of you, it's a familiar verse of Scripture, but it bears repeating. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4, in the latter part of that verse, simply says this, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. There is absolutely no adversity, no trial, no adversary, no challenge, no conflict, no struggle greater than the God who lives in you. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And what most of us do is we go through life having this power, but never allowing that power to be activated. And so when we wear the t-shirt, Holy Spirit Activate, it's fun, but it is a reminder. It should be a constant reminder of where we should live, where the Holy Spirit is actively at work in our lives to empower us to do the supernatural. And so in the first two messages, we talked about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, what happened on the day of Pentecost. And we're going to dig deeper into that in the weeks to come. Last week, though, we learned this ghost story of an Old Testament character named Saul, uh, King Saul. And we saw in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verses 6 and 7, what happened in Saul's life when the Holy Spirit was activated in him. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verses 6 and 7, read thus. These are the words of Samuel that he's instructing uh, Saul to follow. And this is what he says. In fact, it is a prophetic word, and he's informing Saul about what is about to happen in his life. He's about to have this defining moment with the power and the presence of God. And this is what he says would unfold. He says, then the spirit of the Lord will come upon you and you will prophesy. You're going to do some things you couldn't do before. And you heard me say it before, right here in this room from this platform, that our prayer life and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives ought to do for us as believers what the phone booth did for Clark Kent. He will empower you and enable you to do things you couldn't do before. So he says, when the spirit of the Lord comes upon you, he will anoint your ordinary with his extraordinary and you will begin to do things that you are incapable of doing and you are still incapable of doing in your own power, in your own strength and with your own effort. He said, you're going to prophesy with them. And here was it. You will be turned into another man. There's something about the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that ought to be transformative. That after you and I have encountered the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, that it ought to be noticeable that we're no longer the same. There ought to be something about my life that is distinctive, that is different from everybody else. People ought to look at my life and like the early church be able to say, these people have been with Jesus. So he said, the spirit of the Lord will come upon you. You will prophesy and you will be turned. You will be transformed into another man. One translation says into a different man. And again, 
as we say this is not gender specific. The power of the Holy Spirit will transform you, not just into a different man. Come on, ladies. He will transform you into a different woman. But notice what verse 7 says. Notice what verse 7 says. He says, let it be when these signs come upon you, when you recognize the extraordinary power and presence of the Holy Spirit on your life, it's not just for goosebumps. It's not intended just to be an emotional experience. He says, when you see these signs in your life, when you acknowledge and recognize that the Holy Spirit has been activated in your life, this is what he says, make sure that you do as the occasion demands. What is life demanding of you right now in this season? Is it calling you to be a better man? A better woman, a better husband, a better father, a better mother, a better wife, a better leader in the marketplace. Whatever this season and whatever this moment and whatever this occasion is demanding of you, the scripture says, do according to all that this occasion demands. You know what that means? God was saying, when the spirit of God comes upon you, you become the man or the woman for the job. You know why? Because God is with you. He hasn't left you to do it in your own strength, in your own ability, in your own power. This is the story of Saul. This is the chronicle of the work of the Holy Spirit in Saul's life. But I had to go a little bit deeper. I had to go a little bit deeper because remember last week we talked about the fact that everybody else saw a king in Saul, but Saul on the day when he should have been anointed king, on the day of his coronation, he was hiding under the equipment. That other people saw things in him that he didn't see in himself. And may I submit to you, it matters not what I say to you, it matters not what others say to you about you, no matter how affirming, no matter how they're encouraging to you, if your self-talk does not align with what God has said about you, it's like pouring water into a broken vessel. Because how you see yourself ultimately will determine how you move in life. It's called self-fulfilling prophecy. No matter how many times someone says it to you, if you don't believe it for yourself. And I have to go a little bit deeper. Because the Bible is filled, it is replete with examples of people who had an unhealthy self-image. And it impacted the way they walked out their lives. And to some extent, it delayed and hindered what God wanted to do. Can I unpack this for you? If, in fact, if, if I had to choose a title for today's message, it would simply be this. Will the real blank please stand up? That's it. Come on. <laughs> you fill in the blank. Will the real you please stand up? Say, Pastor Ray, what are you talking about? 
Today in psychology, it's called the imposter syndrome. And I would venture to say that there are many who are plagued with this condition that psychologists have labeled imposter syndrome. Let me define it for you. <laughs> Y'all ready for this? <laughs> the imposter syndrome, also called perceived fraudulence. This is the language that psychologists have assigned to this condition. Perceived fraudulence involves feelings of self-doubt and personal incompetence that persist despite your education, your experience, and your accomplishments. Let's stop there for a second. You say, why are you talking about this, Pastor Ray? You know why? Because everybody saw a king in Saul. He was the most handsome. The scripture says this, testifies of Saul. He was the most handsome man in all of Israel. And not only that, he stood head and shoulders above. He was the tallest, the biggest, and best looking dude in all of Israel. And when they wanted to anoint him king, he was hiding under the equipment. You know why? Because Saul like many people today, was plagued, overtaken by imposter syndrome. This condition of perceived fraudulence, where everybody sees you one way and you see yourself another way. And what psychologists have discovered, people who wrestle with imposter syndrome believe in their minds, have convinced themselves that they're living a lie, and it's only a matter of time before they get exposed. You know why Saul was hiding in the equipment? He was hiding in the equipment because he was saying, you're putting too, too much pressure on me. If only you knew how I saw myself, you would never have imposed this on me. And God shows up and gives him an opportunity, but the opportunity is too big for him because of how he saw himself. God sends 12 spies into a land flowing with milk and honey. And God says, go and spy out the land. And 12 of them came back. 10 of them had an evil report. Only two had a good report that aligned with how God saw them. The other 10 said, we were like grasshoppers in their eyes. And so we were in our own eyes. And only two of them, Joshua and Caleb, had a healthy estimation of themselves, which aligned with how God saw them. And they said, let us go up at once and take the land, for we are well able. You know what that means? You can have a room full of people looking at the same thing and experience something totally different. There are some of you in this room who will walk away and lose sight of what God says about you. The image that God is painting on the inside of you because you're going to walk away and your self-talk, how you see yourself and how you perceive yourself will override and overwhelm everything that God has said about you. And just in case you think it's just Saul who was that way, consider Moses. 
When God shows up and says, Moses, I want you to go and deliver my people from Egyptian bondage for reason of their cry that has come up to me, 420 years of bondage, and guess what? You're the guy who's going to break the cycle. And in Exodus chapter 3, I believe it's verse 20, this is what Moses says. He says, who am I to go and tell Pharaoh, let my people go? May I submit to you the three most important words in that entire response? The first three, who am I? God saw Moses as a deliverer. The problem was how Moses saw himself. Because Moses was complicated. Can I unpack it for you for a second? Moses was born a Hebrew, but he was raised an Egyptian. His decisions and choices and his unbridled emotions, his lack of self-control made him a what? Murderer. Unable to face the consequences of his actions and his choices, he fled and became, what's the word I'm looking for? A fugitive, that's the word, thank you. And he spends the next 40 years of his life on the backside of the desert as a shepherd. When God shows up to Moses in this burning bush that wasn't consumed, he says, Moses, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses says, God, who am I? Am I a Hebrew or an Egyptian? Am I a murderer or a fugitive? Or am I what I've done for the last 40 years of my life? Some of y'all are not even 40 years old. For 40 years, he's a shepherd, and God is saying, listen, listen, you 80 years old, and you're just now about to step into my purpose for your life. That's it. And when God explained all of that to him, you know his next response? God... I can't talk. How am I going to tell Pharaoh? Let my people go. God, you must have the wrong guy. God saw one thing, and all Moses saw was a guy with a checkered past. I'm a murderer, and I didn't even suffer the consequences of taking another life. I ran, and now I'm living this quiet life in the witness protection program. And now you want me to go to Pharaoh? and you wanted me to tell him stuff, and I can't even talk? Uh-uh, just in case you think it's only Saul and Moses who suffered with this imposter syndrome, where it was difficult for them to square how God saw them and how they saw themselves. What about Jeremiah? God shows up to Jeremiah. God says, listen, Jeremiah, you're a prophet. And what does Jeremiah say? I'm only a youth. What about Gideon? God shows up to Gideon and said, Gideon, you mighty man of valor, go in this your strength. Gideon's response is, 
Right. Can't be me. Because my tribe is the least in all of Israel. And my family is the least in all of my clan. And I am the least in my father's house. Imposter syndrome. Let's put the definition back up there so everybody can see. <laughs> Perceived fraudulence. <laughs> when you show up and in your mind, you show up, <laughs> you dress up, but in your mind, you're saying to yourself, about yourself, it's only a matter of time before I'm exposed. It's only a matter of time before real people realize I'm not as smart as they think I am. It's only a matter of time before people realize I'm not as awesome as they think I am. And the imposter syndrome often manifests itself in typically about five or six different ways. I think we're going to talk about five of them here. And maybe, maybe this doesn't apply to you today. But if it does... What God wants to confront in each of us. Mm. Are the lies that we have told ourselves about ourselves. Or the lies that others have told us about ourselves that we have chosen to believe. You've heard me say it once. You've heard me say it a thousand times here at Converge. You and I are the sum total of the voices that we have chosen to believe over the course of our lifetime. And the voices we choose to believe. Sometimes it's your own voice. Sometimes it's the voice of your mom or dad. Sometimes the voice of that coach who just yelled at you one time too many and it caused you to quit your dream of becoming a professional athlete. Listen to me. For good or bad, who you have become is a direct result of the voices you have chosen to trust over the course of your lifetime. And may I submit to you, sometimes the voice that we should trust the most is the voice we trust the least. And that is the voice of God. Because God's voice and what God says about you matters more than what anybody else has said about you, including yourself. wants us to deal with this imposter syndrome today. Because how we see ourselves may be the thing keeping us from experiencing what God has already planned and purposed for us. Hmm? So, so can I tell you, let me unpack these five things for you, or let me read this to you. Uh, the imposter syndrome, IS, refers to an internal, listen to me, an internal experience of believing that you are not as competent as others perceive you to be. And so to counter these feelings, here it is. You might have find yourself somewhere in here. To counter these feelings of inadequacy and incompetence, this is what we do. We end up working harder and holding ourselves to higher standards. 
Now, though the imposter phenomenon isn't an official diagnosis, diagnosis listed in the DSM, psychologists and others acknowledge that it is a very real and specific form of intellectual self-doubt. Imposter feelings are generally accompanied by anxiety and often depression. So this is what we do. Instead of bringing our self-doubt to God, we self-medicate. And how many of you realize when you self-medicate, you delay God's healing process? Every time you self-medicate, you take God out of the solution. And you take matters into your own hands. The problem with self-medicating is that it has a shelf life and it is temporary. Because self-medicating brings relief. It doesn't bring resolution. And the problem with relief is, again, is it's only temporary. So this is what we do. We deal with our self-doubt and we self-medicate. So we rationalize. And listen, man, I've got this under control. So we rationalize. And once you rationalize whatever you use to self-medicate your pain, after rationalization comes repetition. Because when you rationalize what you use to self-medicate your pain, oh, man, it's okay. I've got this. So I do it again. Repetition. Here's the crazy thing about that cycle, though. Repetition brings relief. You feel better. The pain goes away temporarily. So when the pain comes back now, it's like, oh, snap. Um, I got to make the pain go away. Oh, man, just one more time. And when I rationalize it and make it okay, Whatever I use to medicate my pain. And let me just say, this ain't only substance now. Some of us medicate our pain with success. Are y'all listening to me? Some of us medicate our imposter syndrome with success. We hide our self-doubt with success. And so when I feel inadequate, oh, man, I got to get another job that pays me more. And then when you get to that job and feel inadequate on that job, guess what you do again? I'm going to find me another job that pays me even more. You know what that's called? It's one of the ways that our imposter syndrome manifests, and it is called the superhero complex. What is a superhero complex? You overwork yourself to make up for how inadequate you feel. I'm talking about self-medication. When I talk about self-medicating, most of y'all thought about drugs and alcohol and pornography and all these, no, 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 no. That's some of it. But there are some of us in this room right now self-medicating our imposter syndrome with our superhero complex. And while it is okay to have a, a work ethic and while it's okay to grind, come on, somebody. 
I love what Steve Harvey said. Say, you might be smarter than me, you might be, but ain't nobody going to outwork me. But listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Be careful now that your work ethic is not a disguise for your superhero complex to cover up your feelings of inadequacy, to mask your imposter syndrome. Y'all listen to me this morning. Listen, the Lord wants to help us. This is not to be judgmental or critical. The Lord just wants to help us identify the stuff that's hindering us. Because it's so easy for us to point the finger at, oh, you, I ain't, I, I'm not getting ahead because of you. And if you had, no, 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 no. I'm talking about the internal experience, how you experience yourself. How you see yourself. Superhero complex. Oh, y'all ready for this one? Here's the second way we self-medicate. <laughs> Here's the second way we medicate our IS, our imposter syndrome. Our perceived fraudulence. I got to keep this up long enough before somebody really sees the real me. Superhero. Here's the second one. The natural genius complex. The natural genius sets exceedingly high goals. Then they feel crushed when they don't meet them. I'm talking about the overachievers in the room. You set the bar so high because you think in setting the bar high, it will compensate for how you feel about yourself. Because setting the bar high will impress everybody else. But the painful thing is when you come down off of that and realize that you set the bar too high. And now your own bar that you set, it has now crushed you and reminded you of how inadequate you feel. Yeah. Wow. I remember talking to a therapist one time, and we had, we're talking about this, having a conversation, and this is what he said. He said, he said, uh, he said I had a session with this lady and her husband, and I met with them for several sessions, and I finally got down to the root of it, of why she was having conflict with her husband. It wasn't the best time for her to go back to school. She wanted to go back to school. She already had her master's. But I said, hey, baby, let's, let's give it some time. We don't have the money right now, and, uh, and we have these little kids. Let's just give it some time to go back to school. And finally, what came out was the fact that she grew up in Nigeria. And in Nigeria, she was the only girl. And I understand this because I'm from Liberia. She was the only girl, and all her brothers went to school and they were expected to excel in school. And for her, she was just being groomed to be a housewife. And for her, her value in life was connected to her natural genius complex. If I get a PhD, I'll finally feel better about myself. I wondered this morning, for those of you in this room and those of you watching online, what drives you? Is it something you really want for yourself? And I'm looking in the camera. Is it something you really want for yourself? Or is it some desire to compensate 
for something someone else said or did to you that made you feel less than. And now the way you medicate that sense of inadequacy is you set exceedingly high goals that you can't even meet yourself. And then you're crushed by the fact that you can't reach them. Are y'all listening to what I'm saying this morning? Number three, again, this is not judgment. God wants us to identify where we are. Because God could have been saying to you this whole time, I got something new, bigger, and better for you. And your response is like Jeremiah, Gideon, Moses, the 12 spies, or even like Esther. Where Esther's cousin Mordecai had to tell her, listen, if you don't step up, if you don't feel big enough for this moment, that's all right. Deliverance will arise from another place. God's going to use somebody else. If you think this moment is too big for you and you miss this moment, God's going to use somebody else. But then he continues in Esther chapter 4, verse 4, but who knows whether God has called you to the kingdom for such a time as this. Her cousin Mordecai had to get her to see what God saw. Okay? Uh, number three. Some of us medicate our IS, our imposter syndrome, with our expert complex. Those of us who are never satisfied with our level of understanding, always trying to learn more. Now, that's not a bad thing in and of itself. But if you're motivated to learn more so that you can be the smartest man or smartest woman in the room, you could be compensating for your own self-doubt. It's quiet in this Presbyterian church this morning, y'all. Come on. Number five. Thank you. Number five. You may not be a superhero, a natural genius, an expert. Ah! But how many of us so easily medicate our, here it is, R-I-S with our perfectionist complex? You are never completely happy with your work. You are only fixated on your flaws instead of your strengths. Y'all laughing like y'all know what I'm talking about in this room. Hmm? You're fixated on your flaws, not your strengths. Never fully satisfied with your work. Now, let me say this. In my defense... Come on, somebody. No, I like things a certain way. I like things done a certain way. In fact, God likes things done a certain way. Everything God made, he called it raggedy. No. He called it good. And then when he made the woman, he called it very good. Hi! Thank you, Jesus. Come on, somebody. Very good. <laughs> somebody, got, somebody said glory to God. 
Uh, what was I talking about again? Oh, perfection. Yeah, yeah. in my defense. Let me, just, let, me just, let me just explain something to y'all. Y'all with me? Let me just... Y'all with me? Uh, uh, people of excellence seek improvement. Perfectionists seek approval. People of excellence seek improvement. If you carry a spirit of excellence, you just want to be better. You want to do better because better is possible. But at the root of everything perfectionists do is approval. Not improvement, approval. I'm talking about medicating our IS. When God shows up and says, baby girl, I need you to step up. Say, God, nah, you can't use me. All this history I got, all this past I got, my subject verb agreement don't even match. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Uh, let me go somewhere with this. Where, where, where are we? Uh, did I say, oh, here it is. I got to let y'all go, but here it is. You may not be a superhero, natural genius, expert, perfectionist, or, uh, but you might be, ooh, come on, somebody. Y'all ready for this one? <laughs> you might medicate your IS with your soloist complex. The soloist is the person who prefers to work alone. They won't ask for help for fear of appearing weak or incompetent. So if I can keep you at a distance and do it all alone and do it all by myself, you won't get close enough to see. So I'm going to do it by myself. I ain't going to ask nobody to help me because if I ask them to help me, they're going to find out I don't know what I'm doing. Watch the soloist. Watch the loner. Watch the lone ranger. There's a reason that people choose to love at a distance. I ain't going to let you get that close. Because if you do, you might see that my nails are really acrylic. Come on, somebody. <laughs> that these lashes ain't real. Come on, I'm getting in there, right? Come on, I just had an I'm going to get you sucker moment. Come on, somebody. Everything just start coming on. <laughs> this ain't real. So I'm going to keep you right there. I know the ladies, y'all think I'm picking on y'all. But I love y'all. All of y'all. My daughters. So here it is. Uh, let's go ahead and put that image. I know sometimes people take pictures. But let's put that image of all five, um, of all five of the, here it is, the types of imposter syndrome and how we medicate. Y'all can take a picture of that. 
Let me lean on my podium if you want to. God wants to help us this morning. And this is where I'm about to close. Because Jesus makes a powerful statement about the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer and how he helps us with our imposter syndrome. Y'all ready for this? I'm talking about the Holy Spirit being activated in our lives so that our lives can begin to align with how God sees us. So in in, uh, John chapter 14, in John chapter 14, verses 15 through 18, and this, listen to me, this is a big deal. For humans in general, but even more so for the church. Because one of the unfortunate things about the church is, (laughs) the church is where we go to put on our mask. And instead of the church being a place where people go to heal, it has become a masquerade ball. Where folks walking around with masks, you don't even know who you're talking to. Because the version of who you're talking to may not even be the real you. That's what God wants to help us with this morning. And that's what God started in the lives of our men on Father's Day. Because men, it starts with us. It really does. It really does. Not your wife leading spiritually. Not your children leading spiritually. Not coming to church because, oh, my wife want to go. Oh, my kids want to go. No. Because that's where you're supposed to be. And it's not an obligation, and it's not cumbersome, but it's where you go to learn what God says about you. As a man, in fact, let me stop there for a second. Not even as a man first. I don't know if I've changed it, but I know maybe it's on my my Twitter account or maybe my IG account. But in my description, the first word is son. Not even man. I have to embrace the fact that I am a child of God. Not a man first. Not a husband first. But just resting in my sonship. And this is where we learn that, what it means to be a son. And that's why I'm going to close my message. And I, did I say that already? Yes. Y'all give me, listen, y'all give me 10 minutes, okay? This is not your two-minute warning. This is your 10-minute warning. <laughs> because I've got to say this. So notice what the scripture says. Your identity as a son matters. Your identity as a daughter should be ground zero. It should be the starting point for how you live, move, and interact in the world. And I'm going to show you why that's important. Oh, Lord, I should probably do this next week. (laughs) Can I do it in 10? All right, Jesus, take the wheel. John 14, verses 15 through 18. 
These are the words of Jesus, and he's going to be talking about Holy Spirit. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. Jesus says, I'm your helper now, but when I go to the Father, I will send another helper, paraclete or parakletos, one like me, one called alongside to help. And he says that he may abide with you, what? Forever. Holy Spirit is with you. Not only is he with you, he is in you. But you got to allow him to activate. There are lights all over this room that haven't been activated. But they have power to illuminate this room, but we haven't flip the switch. He said, Holy Spirit will be with you not only when you get goosebumps, not only when the pastor lay hand on you, not only when you're in church, he will abide with you forever. When you show up to that job that you hate, with that boss you despise. Come on, y'all know how y'all do now. You know how sometimes, right, how the praise report become your prayer request? I got the job. Two months later, y'all pray for me on this job. (laughs) Praise report. Become your prayer request. There is a helper there with you. And he will abide with you forever. Are y'all listening to what I'm saying? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So this is what Jesus is saying, the power that we have. And then he goes on and he says, look, verse 17, the spirit of truth. This is what we're talking about. The Spirit of God will bring you to a realization of the truth and the lies that you have entertained in your life. That's what today is about. It's the Spirit of truth helping us deal with our IS. So the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and he will be in you. Here it is. I will not leave you orphans but I will come to you I'm going to go fast and furious with this but at the root of the imposter syndrome is something called an orphan spirit an orphan spirit And Jesus says, I will not leave you orphans. One of the biggest struggles that orphans have is typically how they see themselves or their identity. Not only that, orphans wrestle with the fact that uh, sometimes, uh, not only is a parent not there, but sometimes it can be a result of rejection. They didn't love me enough or I don't know who I am because I don't know where I came from Jesus said I will not leave you orphans Jesus is speaking to men who weren't orphans biologically but he was saying to them it is possible not to be 
uh, an orphan biologically, but to be an orphan emotionally and spiritually, where you're not sure of your identity, where you move through life with a sense of rejection and abandonment. And so there's a beautiful story in the scriptures. And most times when we tell this story from Luke chapter 15, we tell the story from the vantage point of the prodigal son. That he took his inheritance and squandered it, and his father took him back. But there's a third character in the story that we often ignore. And that is the critical older brother. How many of you realize that sometimes you can be in the house and still be an orphan because of how you see yourself? Let me just finish with this. Y'all ready? I got to finish with this. I ain't going to talk about this next week. I'm going to talk about some other stuff. So Luke chapter 15, is this helping anybody yet this morning? Luke chapter 15, you already know the story. You already know the story, right? Prodigal son. He ran away, did all that stuff, came back. So when he comes back, his dad is excited. Throws a party. And God said this is a picture of how the kingdom of God works. So he messed up, squandered his life, squandered his money, and he came back and his father fully, not partially, fully restored him. Put a robe on him which signifies righteousness or right standing with the father. You did all that you did but my mercy is enough. That's why James said in James chapter 5, mercy triumphs over judgment. Puts on him the robe of righteousness. Not only that, puts his ring on him. And you know that the ring was a sign of authority because important documents would be verified and authenticated, sealed with the ring. This son who was tripping, not only does he put a robe of righteousness on, but he takes his ring and gives it to him, and he says, now I commission you to stand and function in my name as if it were me. This son who did all that he did, yeah, that's the kingdom. Third thing, put some sandals on his feet, which says, you can go in my name. You can represent me to the world. In spite of all I did, yes, sir. So this is where the story at now. I, I, I got to say this. So the older brother, the one who stayed home, is out in the field. As he's coming out from the field, he hears all this music. They started the party without him. Because the dad was so happy. So when he shows up at the house, y'all ready for this? (laughs) When he shows up at the house, notice what he says. Now his older, this is Luke chapter 15, verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And the servant said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. Notice his response. But he was angry. Now stop there for a second. You didn't know where your brother was. He was gone. Now he's home. But his response was anger. Tell you about the orphan spirit. 
when a person deals with this imposter syndrome or even this sense of rejection or inadequacy, the, one of the first emotions you will see in that person's life is often indignation, anger, usually unresolved anger. Ah, oh, man, I wish I had time to go into it. Let me just read the story. First thing, indignation. Notice his words. And he said to him, I'm sorry, verse 28, but he was angry and would not go in the house. One of the second signs of someone who wrestles with this orphan spirit is isolation. Their isolation is rooted in rejection. It is rooted in a false sense of being unloved or unappreciated. He said, Pastor Ray, what are you talking about? You know what a critical older brother said? He said, I've been with you this whole time. You ain't never killed nothing for me. Now this bootleg brother of mine showed up and you having a party for him? And I've been with you this whole time? So you wouldn't go in the house. Y'all keep that party to yourself. You don't appreciate me. You don't love me. So not only was he angry, but now he isolates himself from the rest of the family. Notice verse 29. Notice verse 29. Uh, verse 28. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. He wouldn't go in the house, but his father came to him. Verse 29. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been, what? Serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment. At any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I may make merry with my friends. Verse 29 is the identity question. Because in the critical older brother's conversation with his dad, he never mentions the fact that he's a son. The only thing he points to is the fact that he has been serving all these years. And most people who wrestle with that orphan spirit don't see themselves as son, sons. They only see themselves and their value to others in their service. Are oh, y'all listening to what I'm saying? This guy is in his father's house and only sees himself as a servant not as a son. Lord Jesus, help me. Fourth thing we'll identify in an orphan spirit is a sense of entitlement. That life is unfair. So people become demanding and controlling. And here's the fifth and final thing that manifests as an orphan spirit and sometimes shows up as an imposter syndrome. Here it is, number five. Envy. When someone we think receive, uh, uh, deserves less, receives more. Y'all miss that. Envy is our response when someone who we think deserves less receives more. Envy 
is the response we have emotionally. When someone we think deserves less, prodigal son, receives more. And all those things point to the fact that we see ourselves as orphans, not as sons. And you can be in the house and see yourself as a servant when God sees you as a son. So, here we are. Yes, bring the music. What does that look like? How do I know? I'm wrestling with an imposter spirit that is fed by an imposter syndrome that is informed and fed by this sense that, ah, I don't know my identity. I'm wrestling with rejection. Here it is. Someone else's promotion will expose your silent frustration with God. One of the ways we know that the critical older brother thought as an orphan was when his prodigal brother came back, he was actually expressing his frustration with God. He was expressing his frustration with his father, who in the story is a picture of God. And that's usually what happens with us. That in our lives, when it seems like someone else is ahead of us, we point our finger at God and we say, what about me? Because we don't see ourselves often as sons and daughters. We see ourselves as servants and orphans, even though we're in the house. Second, I should have saved this message till next week. But listen to me. The problem with that thought process is what we end up doing, guys, is we settle for fairness when God has promised favor. Y'all not listening to what I'm saying? Okay, turn the guitar down a little bit. Turn the guitar down. Keys is good. Sometimes our frustration with God is because we want life to be fair. Do for me what you did for them. Do for me what you did for them. And what we end up doing is settling for fairness. We exchange God's promise of favor on our lives, which is going to look different than what he did for them. And we express our frustration at God because God, you're not doing for me what you did for them. And God said, I never promised that it would be fair. I promised to give you favor. So why are you settling for fairness? What if I have more for you than what I gave your brother? What if I have more for you than just a robe and some sandals and a ring? And we want God to be fair. And God says, I promised you favor. Unmerited favor. I'm going to leave you all alone. I'm a, no, here it is. Final thought. Final thought. Don't let your food get cold looking at somebody else's plate. That's the imposter syndrome. Give thanks for what God put on your plate. That you are a son who lives in the house. And notice what the father said. 
He said, everything I have is yours. If you wanted to kill a cow or whatever and have a party with your friends, at any time, it was yours. But the reason he didn't take it, y'all, is because he didn't see himself as a son. He saw himself as a servant. And his father, it's all yours, favor. But because you didn't see favor as a son, now you want fairness as a servant. So what does God want us to do? He just want us, wants us to live authentically. And I promise you, this is the last thing I'm going to say. Last thing I'm going to say. To live authentically means to live from a place of undisputed origin. You know when something is called authentic or original? It comes from a place of undisputed origin. Meaning, whatever you're presenting, you can trace it back to where it came from, and the origin of it is undisputed. We do it with paintings, right? If you can, if you can authenticate a painting, or even a jersey, or a pair of shoes, you said, man, this is an authentic Kobe Bryant jersey, and it is worth so much more. God said if we only embrace our undisputed origin, that we are born of God. And everything that is born of God overcomes the world. I'm talking about your origin. It didn't start with mommy and daddy. It didn't start with the family into which you were born, the culture into which you were born, the ethnicity. If we can get our undisputed origin right, that we are born of God, we will begin to live authentically. So Brene Brown said it this way, and this is my final statement. Authenticity. Listen, the cure for your imposter syndrome is finding your authenticity in God. And notice what Brene Brown said. She said, authenticity is not something we have or don't have. It's a practice. Meaning it's something we have to choose to do daily to live authentically. It is a conscious choice of how we want to live. Authenticity is usually a collection of choices. Choices that we make every day is the choice to show up and be real. The choice to be honest. The choice to let our true selves be seen. So Father, today, we end where we started with a simple question. Or a simple invitation. Will the real you please stand up? And God, I thank you that you give us that invitation to authenticity. And the cool thing about it is, God, you know the worst about us. So we can put away the fig leaves. You already know what's up. Our shortcomings, our flaws. So today, would you give us, Father, the confidence to take off the fig leaves? Our human attempt to self-medicate, to cover our feelings of inadequacy, to heal the imposter syndrome. And Father, I pray that we would see ourselves, because of the Holy Spirit in us, we will see ourselves as you see us, born of God. Everything that is born of God overcomes the world and everything in it 
and everything that the world throws at us. Father, we yield to that now in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen and amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Did that help anybody this morning? Listen, um, uh, the, the, the messages are always online, on demand, on YouTube, uh, also on Facebook. I encourage you to go back, man, listen to this, and just ask God to help you and show you maybe the areas of your life where, where you've struggled with this and, and how you've self-medicated, whether you've been a superhero, an expert, a natural genius, an overachiever, so that you can align your life with what God has purposed and planned for you that on the day of your coronation, you won't be hiding in the equipment. Amen. Why don't you stand with us? Coquetso, why don't you come? Uh, my Pastor Wendy said, Ray, you sweat so much now, you've graduated <laughs> to TDJ status. Come on. So I got my towel, no more handkerchiefs, only my towel. And it's a converged towel too, somebody made for me. So Woo! yeah, 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 yeah. Amen. Amen. Awesome. All right. What a message. I know I have a lot to take from that. Um, and I pray that it spoke to each and every one of us. I know we all had a nugget we could take from that. Share the message. Please send the link to folks that you know of and just share, share the word, would you? Amen. All right. Let us bless you out with hands lifted up to heaven. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord make his countenance to fall upon you and give you peace that peace of God that passes all understanding. In the name of Jesus, amen. Be blessed. impacted by today's worship experience, we'd love to hear from you. Maybe today's sermon was exactly what you needed to hear, or you prayed the prayer of salvation for the first time. If so, we've got some information that we'd love to send you to help kickstart your relationship with God. Or if you want more information on how to join our virtual family, please email us at echurch at weareconverged.com. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can do so online safely and securely by visiting www.weareconverged.com forward slash give. Or you can give via text by texting Converge Give along with a dollar amount that you'd like to donate to 77977. Also, you can find all this information on our mobile app. 
Simply search the app or the Play Store for Converge Church Plano and download the app. It's that easy. Thank you again for joining us for today's worship experience. We look forward to staying connected with you.